So my name is DJ, and uh, you may be looking at me like, uh, well, we don't know you, and uh, that would be true. I'm not from anywhere near here. Uh, my wife and I come from Phoenix. I was lucky enough to bring my family with me this morning, so that's my wife, Julie. Yeah, thank you. It's my wife, Julie, and uh, on Wednesday, we celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. You would not, uh, yeah, yeah. She has made it 20 years living with me. All right, we're going to have a good time. Uh, we have two kids, Grace, who's eight, and Garrett, who will be four in October, and uh, they take up so much of our time, and uh, we love it, and they drive us crazy at the same time. I'm sure those of you who have kids know and understand what that feels like. Uh, I've worked at Paradise um, for like 10 years. Uh, I come from Paradise Community Church in Phoenix. Uh, I've had a bunch of different jobs, and I've actually worked there two different times. We lived in Southern California for two years as well in the middle of that, and uh, so we have been all over the place, and you're going to get to hear a little bit more about my journey uh, once we dig into the message a little bit more this morning. But um, I think that I have a pretty unique experience with your church, actually. This is not my first time at CME, uh, so I would like to know how many of you have ever spent the night in this church? Anybody? A couple of you? That usually means that you've been involved in youth ministry somehow because you've spent the night here with kids. Anybody spent more than like three or four nights in your church? Well, yeah, Melody, I'm sure you have. You don't count. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so I think I've spent uh, eight or nine nights sleeping in your, uh, what is it, Christian Education Building, the CE building over there. Uh, we used to, in Phoenix, we would bring kids to Magic Mountain and to, what's the name of the water park? I forget. Yeah, 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 you guys got it. So we would bring kids out here for that, and we would be lucky enough to stay here, because then it's cheap, we don't have to get a hotel. And then once in a while, we'd do a mission trip and come out here and stay. So I've spent a lot of time on your campus, but, but yesterday was the very first day that I'd ever set foot in this building. So it's kind of fun to see the rest of what you do here. Um, and, uh, and get to experience Sunday morning with you. So uh, I'd like to pray uh, for all of us, if you don't mind, just for a second. God, I thank you for this time that we have together. I thank you for, like Melody said, just the, a moment to soak in who you are and what you do in our lives. God, I am so grateful for what you have done in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of this church. And God, I pray that, uh, that this morning, everything that you and I have walked through to get to where we are today, God, that this would just reflect who you are and what you have done. It's not about me, Jesus. This is all about you this morning. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share what you have done in my life. Be with us this morning as we worship together. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So about 15 years ago, Julie and I had been married for a few years. We were living in Michigan. That's where we grew up. Our families are from there. Uh, it's kind of our, our, our spiritual homeland. Our families still live there, so we go back when there's not 30 feet of snow on the ground, and, uh, and that's nice when we can. Uh, and I had a sense, I had been searching for what was next in my life. We got married pretty young, I'm sure that's a surprise to you. Um, but we, uh, Julie finished school first, and then I just was in the season of, what, 
what am I doing? I went to community college for a while. It didn't really work. It didn't really fit. I had a bad end of high school experience. So I just was confused about what life was and where I was going and what was next. And I've always loved motorcycles and uh, have just been, I think I knew from the time I was a little kid that, that motorcycles were going to have a part of my life uh, all the way through. We would ride our bikes around the neighborhood and pretend that we were uh, uh, California Highway Patrol officers because Chips was on every day in the summertime, and that was my favorite TV show for a long time. So California was in my blood, even though I was kind of had a love-hate relationship with you guys. I love you now. I love you, I promise. But growing up in the Midwest, all you hear about is the West Coast, and you're like, man, I'm over that already, you know? Uh, but So I knew that that was happening, and we finally made the decision that um, we were going to move to Phoenix, and I was going to become a motorcycle mechanic. There's a school there. There's only two schools in the nation where you can get certified, and uh, one was in Orlando, and I did not want to live in Orlando, Florida for any <laughs> shape at all, uh, especially after we visited there. So we moved to Phoenix. And in the preparations for that, uh, I had some conversations with people around the church that we were leaving because we were very involved there. And one of them has stood out to me over the years for a long time, and it actually took me a little while to get over it. Uh, it was a guy that I had worked with. I had been a youth volunteer for his kids. We had a good relationship. And, and he just came to me one day and was like, don't you know that this is dangerous, that motorcycles are dangerous. Don't, don't you see what you're doing to your family, that this is, this is a risk? And, and it, it was at that moment where I was like, ah, oh, I already had all these insecurities about can I do this? Can I finish school? Can I show up and do what I needed to do? And it, it just hurt. It kind of cut because I wasn't even sure if I could do it. I wasn't even totally sure what I thought about it, but it felt like there was this call to go do the thing. So I went anyway, uh, and, and I, I tried to overcome that. I tried to use that as fuel for, for doing well at school, but I soon realized that it didn't, it didn't provide the fuel that I needed. And eventually, after sitting in a room that was about this size with uh, like 200 other mostly guys, mostly weird facial hair, mostly chains and you know all that kind of stuff and, and, uh, and I'm an introvert. So standing up here is okay, but sitting at a table with 10 people I don't know and having to tell them all about my life and then how we're gonna you know, train to be motorcycle mechanics together, that makes my palms sweat, makes my heart race, it, it just it gets me going, not in a good way. And, uh, and so after a couple of weeks, we started to settle into the routine, and I made friends. And before I knew it, it was sailing by, and it was like I had found the thing that I was meant to do. It was the moment where I realized I'm good. This is, this is where I am. And that was weird for me because I grew up in church, and it always felt like if you were called to something, it meant that you were called to work in church. And I had to, I had to reconcile that, that idea that maybe my call didn't have to do with church at the time. And now you're probably thinking, well, then what the heck are you doing on our stage preaching this morning? That's a longer story, and, uh, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But first I want to read um, a quote 
So Howard Thurman is an activist and a civil rights leader. And, uh, and he had a really interesting take on what it means to, uh, to live out something important in your life. He says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And if that doesn't sound like the gospel, I don't know what does. I don't know what does. And I think that's what Howard was getting at. So let's, let's turn this morning. If you've got your Bibles, uh, I'm going to read out of Exodus. And when I sent this passage to Melody, I said, it's a little obscure. And she said, yep, yep, it is. Uh, but trust me, we're going to go on a journey together and we'll get there. We'll, uh, we'll get there together. It's on the screens as well. And that's where I'll read it from because I brought the wrong translation. So, so Exodus 35 And it starts in verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood. For work in every skilled craft, and he has inspired him to teach, both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. That's some mouthfuls right there. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. So we're going to talk about Bezalel and Aholiab this morning. Um, they're really the focus of, of my thoughts here. If you know the story of the Israelites, they have been in Egypt for 400 plus years, so many generations. They started out as a small family, and they were uh, welcomed. They were looking for shelter and food because there was a massive famine in the area, and they had nothing to eat, and so they moved there to to be provided food, to be provided a safe place. And while they were there, they flourished, and they became this people. But soon the leaders of Egypt were people that weren't connected to the Israelites. They didn't know their story. They didn't know why uh, they were invited to live there. And they started to see them as a threat. As they became 500,000 people and a million people, they re- the Egyptians realized this could go the wrong way. We could be on the bottom side in our own, fa- in our own uh, country. And so they began to oppress them. They made them to be slaves, and they took away their rights. They took away their, their property and all of their, their belongings and, uh, and turned the script upside down, and they imprisoned this people that God had promised to give a land and to be a blessing to. And so eventually... God meets Moses, who had grown up in this culture and then had been transplanted away, and he meets him in the burning bush. And if you don't know that story, it's an amazing, crazy story, and I actually love that one a lot. Um, but, but he sends him back to Egypt and says, you're going to rescue my people, and, and I'm going to show you what I can do. And so he does, and they, he removes the Israelites from Egypt, and they go on this crazy journey. They cross the Red Sea that God parts for them, and it is this powerful story of what God can do when God wants to rescue people. 
And it's the precursor to everything that comes later in Jesus when God rescues people. God is in the business of rescuing people. And so they move out, and, uh, and you would think, okay, they've, they've gone through all this stuff. They must be looking at God and saying, man, we're blown away by what you can do. Not really. They whine about bitter water. They're, they're worried about their food. They're upset about everything that's going on. The Israelites very quickly kind of turn on God. And then they get it together, and they move to the base of Mount Sinai, and as Moses is meeting with God, they create this false god, and they start worshiping it because they just don't know what they're doing. And Egypt has become such a part of their lives that they have to go back to that because it's the only thing that they know. And so they create these gods, and God gets mad at them, and, uh, and he wants to destroy them, and Moses says, please don't. We can't have come all of this way for you to destroy us in the desert. Give us a chance. Let us serve you like we know we can. And so God relents and and he teaches Moses a lesson about interceding, about praying for, about being interested in the people that he's leading, not just being the guy who's in charge. And it's this just this incredible story of rescue and forgiveness and people moving into uncomfortable spaces, but trusting who God is. So we, we arrive at this moment, and, and God is giving them instructions about how they're going to build, uh, it's called a tabernacle. So basically the place where God is going to live among them while they are different places. And it's movable because they're going to be nomads for a long time. Um, but we're really only maybe a month, two months removed from them living in Egypt. So all of this has happened in this really compressed, short amount of time. And, and the Israelites, I, I would imagine, if I was an Israelite, my head would be spinning. I've spent my entire lifetime, all, everyone I know has spent their entire lifetimes living as a slave. And suddenly I'm free, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to make a, my way in the world other than where I have lived and the work that I was doing and the things that I have been trained, and suddenly I'm in the desert. What do I do now? My family's here. I'm totally dependent on God's favor to make it in the world. The only way they have water, the only way they have food, they are completely at the mercy of God. And on the one hand, that is an amazing moment right? If we could live there for just a couple of hours where we would understand how dependent we are on God, I think we would have this connection, this, this understanding of how much God loves us. And on the same hand, we are totally insecure. <laughs> have you been there? Have you lived in security like I have? The research would suggest that most of us have, that most of us know at some level that in our career or in our family, raising kids, whatever it is, we're a little bit of a fraud. And that's not a, that's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a, it's a feeling. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that we have to move through before we can understand how God has created us. And, and it's hard, and it's hard work. And, uh, and I don't want to downplay 
the fact that some people deal with in, just tragic insecurities for a long time. And that is a horrible thing. And that is not the way that God originally designed us. But that is the reality of our world. And when we sit here together, we know that there is this level of insecurity that just lives among us. But what does God do here? He asks the Israelites to participate. And every time I've heard this this passage talked about, the longer passage in 35, in Exodus 35, talks a lot about how the people brought offerings to make all of this happen. They brought gold, they brought wood, they brought precious gems. They were really involved in creating everything that was going to be used in making this tabernacle. And it's it's like 75 feet wide and like 150 feet long, the outer, outer court, and then the, they make this inner, um, this inner place where God's Spirit is actually going to dwell. The outer area is where they're going to make sacrifices and, and do all of the, um, the uh, they, they call it atoning for their sins. They're, they're going to sacrifice to say we're sorry so that they can receive the forgiveness that God is offering. And so it's, it's a big undertaking, and, and God explains to them in very, very clear details exactly how this is going to go. And, that, and we talk about that a lot because this may be the last time in the history of church that, uh, that anyone has had to say, okay, stop giving us money and things. We're good. We have enough. Uh, that happens in 36. Moses has to go to the people and be like, okay, listen, we got enough gold. You keep it now. You're good. You know, don't bring any more. We have more than we can use. Uh, no pastor has ever said that ever anywhere. <laughs> That's okay. So he also asks for skilled people, for craftsmen, for someone to come and be the general contractor, to be the foreman, to, to live out the building of this tabernacle, to really own what it is. And I imagine as, as Moses uh, told this to the people, can you imagine sitting there and thinking, well, I learned how to do some of this in Egypt, but can I? Now that I'm living out here, can I still do this? Do I have the tools? Do I really remember how to make this? What if I mess it up? What's God going to do if I do it wrong? What if, what if I think I'm good enough and I'm not really? Or what if it was just too painful? What if it was too much of a reminder of being that slave, that it felt crushing to participate in that. Bezalel and uh, Aholiab didn't wait. They volunteered, they stepped up, and they did it. And I think that's significant. I think that's important to remember in this. God always wants us to participate. And in many ways, he wants us to participate with what we have in, in giving offerings But he also wants us to participate with our very lives, with our work, with our everyday work, not just what we do here on a Sunday morning, but what you get up and drink coffee before on Monday morning, what you do when you interact with the people on your team at work, what you do when you hand in that project to your boss and say, this is my best work. God cares deeply about that stuff. 
He wants to be a part of that. He wants to help you be the best that he has created to be. And these two guys lived into that. They didn't downplay their abilities. They didn't say, well, you know, I didn't really learn that to work for the church. I didn't really do this uh, knowing that God was going to call me to build a temple or a tabernacle someday. This isn't what I had in my plan. Instead, they hear the need, and they're filled with the Spirit. And I think that's one of our keys. They're filled with the Spirit to take what they already have learned, what they already know, what is their life, and give it away to God. To turn that over to God and say, this isn't just mine, this is for you. And then it says that they teach. Not only do they do, not only are they experts in their field, but they help others to become experts in the same field. They help others who aren't as far along the journey, and they come alongside them, and they're responsible for the end product, but they say, come with me. Be a part of this journey. Be a part of putting this together and become even more proficient in what you do. See, in the church, we talk a lot about discipleship, and we do groups, and we want to spur each other on to be more like Jesus. But sometimes, God is also calling us to help each other become better in our careers. How do we meet people who don't know Jesus, who need to know Jesus, if the only time we spend is here in the church, if we don't become good at our jobs, good at meeting the needs of our neighbors, living out the things that we can do for others everywhere we go in our lives? How do we interact with people who need to know this message of the gospel, who need to know that there is a God who rescues them and forgives them and loves them right where they are. He desperately wants a relationship with you and with I and with everyone that we come in contact with. So they do it. It becomes the most important thing in their life. They could have said, you know what? Uh, my family still hasn't adjusted to all this. I'm just going to wait. Uh, give me like three months, God, and then we'll, we'll, I'll come back to this and put it together. They could have tried to stall things, but they didn't. They participated. They made what was important to God important to them, and they lived it out. In 1 Peter 4, uh, Peter says it this way. He says, uh, Just as each one has received a gift... Use it to serve others. Use it as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So I think there's three questions that these guys had to answer and that we need to answer in our lives. First one is this, do I fit? Do I fit? Not just with God, 
but do I fit in this place? And that's a hard one to answer. Listen, like, not everyone loves motorcycles. I get that, okay? If you're out there and you're like, I probably was that guy that was like, don't you know that's dangerous? Uh, I get it. We can still be friends. It's okay. Uh, I'm not as insecure as I used to be. (laughs) Um, But my interests don't always line up with other people. And, And let's be honest, as adults, it's hard to make new friends, right? Can I get an amen there? Yeah. It is hard to find people that you just gel with, that you love, that, that you want to hang out with on a regular basis. We get busy in our lives. We do all those things. We have different interests in the people around us. It's hard to say, I, I'm just going to spend time with you. It's hard to fit. And some of you are extroverts, and you love everyone, and God bless you. We need you. I need you because I am not that person. Uh, I have learned how to do it in ministry, but man, that is not, that is not where I come from. That's not where I live. Uh, and so uh, I love it when, when you uh, make me feel welcome because uh, that is a huge thing. That is a huge thing. But listen, the bottom line is you fit. You fit with God. He loves you. I could stand up here and talk about that for 30 minutes, and, uh, and it wouldn't be enough. But God loves you. The question is, do we as the church, do we love the people that God loves? Do we love the people that come through our doors? And listen, I, I'm guilty of being shades of better and worse of this, but are we moving towards loving the people in our neighborhoods, loving the people who we interact with. We need everyone. Just like Peter says, we need all of us. So number two is, where do I fit? Okay, I fit with God. We're going to try to be better at fitting all together in the church, but where? How? How do I? Where do I fit? We're going to get to the how later. There's a lot of ways to answer that where. You know, you guys have have groups. Uh, Melody told me that you have some groups that are forming this fall, and there's an opportunity to sign up for those. And groups are hard. Get it? I'm an introvert. I understand that. Groups can be difficult. Groups can be especially difficult if you're new and you feel like you're moving into something that's already there. Maybe you need to sign up for a group with a friend. Bring somebody with you. Say this, you know, we're going to be buddies to start this off together. Take a risk. Take a chance. Try something that might connect you. I know it's tough. I know it's tough, but there might be somebody in that group, and there probably is somebody in that group. If you're called to be there, if God is there, there might be somebody there who needs you, who needs to be a part of your life, who needs to know your story, about the pain that you've been through, about where you've walked with a God who loves you, who forgives you, who wants to be a part of your life and needs to know so that they can move to that next space, so that they can become uh, a master in whatever it is that they do, so that they can pass it on to somebody else. How do I, how do I fit? You know, there's there's a saying that when we succeed alone, we fail alone. But when we succeed together, We fail together. 
it's not the idea that we have to succeed or that we have to fail, but we don't have to do it all by ourselves. And honestly, that was one of the things that got me through school to begin with. I had to move to Arizona by myself. Uh, Julie continued her job for about six weeks. So I found a job. I, I started school. had to do all of this stuff alone. And it was clearly obvious that I was missing something. Uh, God was with me, but to have her there, to have her be a part of that journey was so comforting. It just helped me to be comfortable in knowing who I was and what I was going to do. We don't have to do that alone. Please don't do it alone. That's what we're all here for, to be together, to do this thing together. A um, couple of things that I want to suggest. The Israelites were grateful. They responded out of gratefulness. It says in the message that they were freely responsive in their offerings of things and their lives. Are we freely responsive to who God is and what God has done in our lives and what God continues to do in our lives? Are we grateful for what he's doing in our lives? Be community-minded with your gift. Uh, don't just use what you've been given, what God has done in your life for your own success. Use it for this body, for this group of believers. Know that God has created you to be here, to do that thing, to be great at what you do, because it's going to bless the whole community. And we are all going to be richer because of it. And then be generous with your knowledge. Some of you have way more experience than I do at life, at everything. I need you to be a part of my life. I need to know the things that you have experienced, the ways that you have seen God show up over and over and over again in your life. The confidence that you have that God will continue to show up, we need that. We need that in lives of students and kids and young families who in the midst of raising kids sometimes just go, I don't know if I can do it another day. How do I, how do I finish this without tearing my hair out, which I have already done? <laughs> how do I do this? We need you. If somebody's told you otherwise, it's not true. We need all of us. But we need you to be a part of the community. We need you to be willing to get to know me and my family and my mess so that I can be an encouragement to you as well. So that my kids can look at you in love and say they know you and they love you and they care about you. So that they can see the same from you. We don't have family where we live, and if it weren't for older adults who pour into their lives, we would be poorer for it. We have community, we have family, because people have said, I'll give you the love that God has given me. So I want to finish up with this. I, I finished my, my schooling in, uh, at motorcycle school, and I was able to have a really cool career where I traveled around and uh, worked on race motorcycles. 
And the funny thing was that the knowledge and the, uh, the capability and the things that I was able to learn there gave me moments to speak with people who had either left the church or had never been a part of the church, who had no contact with anyone who knew anything about God or Jesus. And it was an incredible experience. And it continues. Uh, a few weeks ago, a month or so ago, I got to go back. And it was funny because, you know, I had been away from the series that I worked on for three years, and there were people that they would walk by the tent where I was working, and it, it was like they, they were, you know, when you see the cartoons where somebody gets jerked off the stage by a, by a rope, like that was the moment they would stop and almost fall over themselves to say, hey, to, to just be together for that moment. And that's nothing special about me. I want you to know that. I'm not saying that I'm great. I'm saying we built community. And it was the kind of community that said to me, this is what it is. This is what we do when we're at our best. When we let God work through us and when we give him back the best of what we have. I'm blessed to not only work at a church, but to also work with some people who need to know that God loves them desperately, no matter what they have in their past. And I don't know how that will go. I don't know what my future holds, but I'm excited. I'm excited because just like these two guys building the tabernacle and passing it on, I get to be a part of that wherever I go. I hope today that you're excited. I know that you're in transition, and that can be a tough place to be. But I hope you see the grace that God gives, that he wants to be a part of your journey, that he's calling you to respond with what you do. I'd like to pray to finish us up. God, you are so good to us. You have brought us to this place today. And maybe we didn't know why, maybe we didn't know what was coming, but you have been part of the journey and you have called us to where we are today. God, I pray that as the offering comes, that we would freely respond to you, that we would be grateful in our giving, not just the giving of money in a plate, not just thoughts on a connect card, God, but that we would start thinking about giving away our lives. What does it mean to be a part of Simi Covenant, to pour into what you are doing here, to live our lives as worship? in everything that we do. God, you call us past our comfort zone, and I pray this morning that we would respond and take part in that. Thank you for these gifts. Thank you for the things that you're going to do with them. God, we pray that you would multiply what's given, that it would go out and touch who needs to, be, who needs to know about you this week and in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.